You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Vendors Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. I will be your host today as we talk about one of my favorite shows in a very long time, Succession. My name is Tim Muirhead. Thanks very much for tuning in. Joining me in the co-pilot chair is Teresa Morrow. Teresa, can you tell us about what Succession is for anyone who's living under a rock in the last few years? <laughs> sure. Hey, Tim. Nice to be here. Uh, yeah, well, Succession, if you haven't been watching it, where have you been? I guess an intense family drama uh, that follows the <laughs> jostling for power that goes down uh, in the sort of final chapter of a media tycoon's reign. The sharp and tight dialogue is at the core of the show's success and its addictive appeal. Uh, let's hone in on that and the other elements of the show that support that dialogue. We're going to specifically be talking about season four's episode three, which is a pivotal episode, high drama, and uh, some amazing scenes. Yeah, that episode kind of changed everything, and uh, I'm looking forward to digging into it. Uh, and to tell us about their work on this show, uh, we have three of the heavy contributors to how the show sounded. First up, we have Nicholas Renbeck, the series supervising sound editor and sound effects re-recording mixer. Nicholas was previously on Tonebenders way back in 2017, talking about his work on the HBO series The Night Of. Welcome back, Nicholas. It's wonderful to talk to you again. Hey, great to be here again. Thanks for having me. Also joining us is Succession's ADR supervisor, Angela Organ. It's nice to meet you, Angela. Hi, nice to meet you guys too. Awesome, thanks for joining us. And finally, we have the dialogue and music re-recording mixer, Andy Chris. We've been trying to get Andy on Tonebenders for a really long time, so it's great to finally have him on for a chat. Andy, great to meet you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. If you want to dive right in on um, the dialogue question, uh, I had a quick little look through some media stuff uh, around the show, and uh, I stumbled on a Reddit subreddit. And there's an interesting thing in the subreddit that was a thread saying, of all the shows on TV right now, Succession is the one that I do not put the captions on. And uh, I thought that was really, obviously, a great credit to your work. But I wonder if you want to talk a little bit about dialogue intelligibility overall. Nicholas, do you want to tackle that first? I will throw it to Andy in half a second, but uh, that's interesting about the subreddit that you were talking about. I hadn't seen that, but it makes sense. An interesting story of when we were first starting on this this series is, you know, first spotting it, we got this conversation with um, Adam McKay, and he he was saying that they are so rich— that their apartments and their places that they live in are cocoons. They're cocoons of silence. And so you, they do not hear the outside world. That made it very challenging, I guess one would say, to, to try and figure out what you could put in there other than a basic room tone. And so it made a very narrow box, you know, on the, the sound effects side of things on where we can put stuff. But it also didn't give much hiding places. So Andy had to do a lot of lifting to make this work. And I've tried many times to to sneak stuff in, and uh, it, it normally gets <laughs> gets pulled out. So he has to <laughs> he just has to work really hard. If we go outside, then I can then we can be a little noisier. So that's Andy and our dialogue editors spending a lot of time making those tracks as clear as they are. And maybe that harkens back to when you think back to the old the older movies when there wasn't a lot of sound effects possibilities. Quite honestly, you didn't have that many tracks you could mix, and you had to be sort of uh, selective in what you could put in. I think back to those, you know, 
30s film noir films or uh, anything when it was mono, I guess, you know, or even old TV shows. It's just, that's what it is. And so maybe that's the clarity that, you know, people are hearing because there's nothing to, to get in the way. Andy, I'll throw it to you now. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would say I have a, a few tweets that I've screenshotted that uh, beg to differ about the dialogue intelligibility on the show. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I use that as my inspiration for, you know, for when we get done to work on the show. Like Nick said, um, there's a certain aesthetic to the show that I think harkens back to a lot of films that were heavily dialogue-driven. Woody Allen, um, Mike Nichols, Martin Scorsese, Spike Lee. In New York, you know, those were kind of the most popular films that we would do post-production on. You know, the place where a lot of those films were mixed was Sound One, and that's where I began my career. Sitting next to mixers like Lee Dichter, you know, Dominic Tavella, Michael Berry, we got a real sense that the dialogue is the king. That's where the words are. That's where the drama is. Everything else is there to support that. So it's not often we get shows that are heavily influenced by their writing, and that's what they want to hear. I mean, I've, I've had many mixes that they do a great job of telling the story, they get all the dialogue, and then for some reason they want to hear the music and sound effects. And it, it becomes very frustrating for us, you know, to say, like, you're kind of losing the thread here, and I think you're going to lose some audience members. We have the reverse problem on this show, like Nick said. They only want to hear just the dialogue. So you have to pull out all the tricks of the trade in order to to increase that intelligibility. Um, you know, I think part of what helps us is they do a tremendous job on set recording everybody's mics. There's a lot of lavs that are used. There's booms used as necessary, some plant mics. And um, great attention to details taken in those. You know, some of the things that makes it challenging for us is that they shoot on 35 millimeter, which is completely unheard of in today's film world, um, and oftentimes multi-cameras. So they, they have a hard time getting booms close to the actors. And I usually like to use the booms to give it that nice, rich, full sound, and then have the lavs as like a supporting element to that. There's lots of challenges in the show. They don't shoot on a sound stage. Very little of it is shot on a stage, so it's all location. And, uh, you know, I mean, it has an improvisational nature to it. You know, because of that, there's some certain things that happen when they're shooting that they want to preserve. Because of that, we don't do a lot of the typical ADR that I think a, a show does. You know, there was a time where we tried to, like, have very crisp, clean tracks. You know, we'd loop things that were maybe a little bit dirty and a couple episodes in it was like no no the actors weren't happy doing it the producers weren't happy scheduling the actors to come in and do it the mixes didn't sound you know good with the ADR in so pretty much like on the second episode it was like no this is not a show that's going to have ADR this is a show that's going to basically be a documentary and what we got on the day that we shot is what we're going to use in the mix that's why we needed somebody like Angela to come in. And <laughs> I see very, Angela <laughs> shaking her head. Yes, very, agreement. very judiciously, like, you know, choose, like, when and where are we going to do, you know, some lines. Most of the ADR we do is a lot of additional, you know, some background uh, ADR. Sorry, so Angela, I've heard you talk about this um, in other interviews about the show in the previous season, that your job in ADR consists in trying to find as much 
production dialogue to obviate the need for ADR. Do you want to talk a little bit about your workflow and your process in that when you come upon those uh, vetting questions of whether we're going to loop this or not? Right. Yeah, I just usually screen through and then flag whatever I feel like needs to possibly be re-recorded, but I know for the most part nobody wants to re-record, so I check for alts. In the beginning of the season, usually I'll send them. Towards the end of the season, maybe not everybody goes through them at that point, but I'll send alts and they'll review them and they'll select one or two, and that's what we'll use. Or or I'll just go to Andy and I'll be like, can we... There's a whole scene under an airplane. Can we use this scene or not? You know, and it's like that. I mean, for the most part, um, he'll take a crack at it and we minimize the amount of ADR that we need to do. But I call myself like an alt finder, really, you know, <laughs> and it's all about like whatever additional um, lines are to be re-recorded for story purposes. They'll, they'll add lines in and then loop group. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of improvisation. You said in the in the performances, they I think they always do a pass. You know, they'll do everything as scripted, and then I what I've heard is they'll do a take where it's just like a free take kind of idea, and they go about it that way. Yeah, and it it seems like those get used a good chunk of the time too. Those yeah. those one offs at the end, they they've nailed it down throughout all those takes, and then here's the the one they've been. Kieran's been thinking about his quippy remark he's going to put in, and and then he lets it have it, and then it's somehow it makes it into the into the show a lot of the time. He's very good at those. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say let's dig into uh, episode three of season four. Uh, this is not a typical episode, both in plot points and in how it was shot. From a viewer's point of view, it seems like a large, large chunk, like thirty minutes of it, is a continuous take. Uh, I'm assuming it's not, but uh, it certainly feels like it. And uh, there's helicopters taking off beside characters talking. There's uh, lots of challenging moments in the episode. Can Maybe, Nicholas, do you want to talk about how was it achieved that it appeared to be a continuous take for a large chunk of it? Well, I mean, the interesting thing is that they did, they did do a continuous take. They had a whole bunch of cameras with their 10 minutes magazine of film going, uh, and they hid the cameras, and it's not a continuous piece of film, but it's a continuous take. That's the whole uh, walk down of Kendall down to find Shiv, and then back up, and and talking to the guys on production. Sounds like they did it over a couple of days, and then the last time they did it as one final continuous take. And I think that's what got used a good chunk of it in that walk. It, in terms of that particular scene, that I guess that was more challenging again for Andy. You know, it's on a boat. It's a. Uh, it's docked. It hasn't left yet. <laughs> I tried to help Andy where I could by putting in a the engine tone that we'd bring in and out, and then you know to speak to sort of what was Andy was touching on before is that the picture department took a, a stab at trying to be a little bit sort of more creative in the sound work in terms of what was in Ken's head as he's he's walking down to find his sister, uh, and uh, they had some weird sort of designy effects that they sent to us, and I took that and tried to build off of it or do something else different. Andy and I had a whole pass that we had made of of that, and uh, you know then when we when we showed it, we ended up stripping a lot of that back, and so what we have is a lot of additional ADR that we have poking in of, from Loop Group coming in, and it's selective production takes and selective sound effects that just give a, a little bit of a a different it's a different feel than what the show normally is, but it's not as far as they initially tasked us to attempt. So, in terms of like um, 
in your head type. Yeah, or you know, like yeah, you yes, exactly. You're in your head, or that high the high pitch ring that you would get, or a muffled sound. You know, or does the the engine of the boat become so overwhelming in Ken's head or something? You know, we tried messing around with all those things. You know, and at, at the end of the day, our, our showrunner was just like, yeah, I think, I think a little less is more. He's very realistic in in. Uh, Realism is what he goes for. And I still think, you know, it, it is different than where we normally sit on the show. But I, I think we have a small sandbox to play in, in terms of what we can do sonically. And so it's it's a challenge to try and figure out what we can do within those parameters. The whole um, first part of the episode is taking place in essentially a wedding reception. Um, there's beautiful loop group stuff in there. I guess that's what you're you're talking about of, of weaving that in and out as they're moving through the scenes. I really thought that that stuff was so natural and really glued to the picture. Is there a particular loop group that you're working with, or you? Um, yeah, we use uh, Dan Fink and Daphne Gaines were the coordinators, and um, because of the subject matter of the episode, we it was hard because we didn't want to reveal. Um, what occurs. It felt a little uh, sneaky in a way. We weren't showing everybody's whole scenes. Like we showed the first half and then we just kind of stopped showing picture. Like that whole bit we could do to picture because nobody really knows what's happening yet with Kendall's face. We just said it was bad news, but we didn't say what was happening. And people sort of could read Kendall's face, but we just were just saying it was some bad news about a deal or whatever. We didn't want to give away spoilers to the actors because they all love the show too. So we, and then we did just record wild, not to picture for other wallet bets just to have. Yeah. And then I think I just kind of, if I had something in mind, I might just say, oh, could you do this or do that? But, but, but not to picture. Nobody said it to me, but afterwards, a couple of his actors thanked him once they watched the episode, they realized what was going on. So they were glad to have not known what happened. So felt good about that. <laughs> Uh, Andy, do you want to talk about your uh, philosophies with ADR and loop group, I guess, and how you kind of glue it to picture? You know, I think um, the approach that I always try to take is like one of um, realism so that if you're in a restaurant, you know, people are talking, you hear them, but you're focused on the conversation that you're having with the person across the table. So you want it to be there, you want it to be supporting, but you don't want it to be in the way. Um, it's kind of the opposite um, aesthetic of uh, David Simon, who I also work with um, sometimes, and I've gotten criticism for that. The loop group is actually louder than the principal dialogue. Um, sometimes he finds that more interesting than stuff he wrote. So, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't the case for, especially for this episode is like, you know, we wanted to kind of, to put yourself in the shoes of the viewer as they're going through it. You want everything to seem like it's just a normal day and, you know, succession world, you know, they're doing a big fancy wedding on a yacht in New York Harbor and, you know, people are flying in and out and, you know, just seems like everyday ordinary stuff. So, you know, to have, you know, the band playing, the people talking, everything there and just normal, just normal, normal, normal. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, to do that, like we have all these tracks, you know, that Angela gave me, you know, we have the production tracks, they have wild tracks that they recorded on set. Nick brings some extra wallet tracks too. So, you know, we're kind of able to like weave a very naturalistic soundscape. And then, you know, when, Kendall gets the news that, you know, his dad is having a heart attack on the plane. Things have to shift. So things got quiet. Things got really, really quiet. Um, 
what's going on? You know, how are they going to react to this news? How are they going to tell Shiv, who's downstairs, you know, in the party, what's going on? You know, Jesse, even at the mix, didn't really know how he wanted to play this moment. <laughs> he had been trying it many, many different ways in the edit. Like Nick said, they tried the typical, like, you know, the, the ringing of the ears, the kind of tinnitus tone. They tried some other stuff with sound design. And he wasn't comfortable with that because it's not something we ever did on this show. Um, the show is very naturalistic. So Jesse then, he said, why don't we try a pass where when Kendall goes to tell Shiv the news, it's just piercingly loud. Everyone's talking like you're going into this party and everyone, uh, life is just going on. And that's what it would be like, right? Like you go into a room full of people celebrating a wedding, it's, it's going to be loud. So, so we tried this pass where Kendall walks through and it's just a level of Walla and loop group and sound effects that we don't ever do on the show. So I think, you know, because Jesse let us do that, it, it became very, very effective that, you know, we were able to create a very quiet place where Kendall was coming from into this chaos that he was trying to deal with, like in his head. So, you know, I think for us, like being able to do that created a much more effective um, dramatic arc um, mm. than, you know, than we could have done with um, sound design. You know, for me, for me, it's like, that's, that's not what I do. I'm a very realistic mixer. So it was... It was wonderful and it was eye-opening to see that, wow, this worked. <laughs> this was a solution that we came up with, you know, which on a show like this, you know, uh, that moment called for something extraordinary. So, you know, for us to be able to pull that off with all the elements that we had on the, on the day was, um, you know, it was kind of one of those special moments that I don't normally get as a mixer. Normally it's like, oh, here's the show, you get it. All right. My job is basically like a, you know, a garbage man. <laughs> Clean it up, make it, make it nice and pretty, and then send it off to be streamed by millions and millions. So for us to be able to, to have a little bit of creative input on a um, pretty significant moment in the show was, um, was kind of special. Yeah, I would say we we worked more on that scene than we probably worked on most any other scene in the series in some way, the amount of time we spent on it. Did we end up having a whole extra day on the mix stage for this episode, I I think? Wasn't that? Yeah, I think we, so. we were just trying yeah. things out. So, you know, you know I, I wanted to jump back and talk about the phone call conversation between, you the know, plane. And how, the plane and the yeah, boat. Yeah, up, yeah, the plane and the boat, because Andy ended up doing some interesting stuff on that as well, because they like their practical phones. A lot of times if you're hearing someone in the show talking over a cell phone, it's actually the actor talking over the phone someplace else. And they're just, they're actually calling the other actor's phone. And so we found here on this, a lot of Tom's voice coming over the phone onto the boat is a cell phone call. And there was more, there was ADR that had to be recorded from Tom, or there was production audio that they wanted to use that wasn't over the phone. Uh, and so all those three had to be given to Andy and Andy Actually, I came in one day and he's he's got a microphone set up. Can I tell the story, Andy? Go I mean, ahead, you'll, sure. you'll take it. You'll, you'll take it over. But I love it. But I, I come in and he's he's got his microphone and his laptop and his cell phone, and he's sitting and he, he sets it all up. And I'm like, what's going on here? And he's he's sending the actual the the other takes through his phone and recording it live to then further process it afterwards. But that was the base to make it match because. Uh, I don't know. It's just something like it's coming out of an iPhone and it's as real as it's, you know, it's as close as it's going to get. And again, going back to Andy's realism that he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> so, but whenever they throw in another line, Andy go, okay, everyone go to lunch. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> I got to 
build the system again here off the side of the big stage. And <laughs> I know. I called it the laboratory. You know, I mean, it was just, they, they did that on set, right? And so, and it sounded great. You know, it sounded real. And that was, you know, what we try to strive for in this show. And any plug-in that I tried, you know, tried them all, it just didn't sound real. You know, they're, they're kind of phony in the end. Uh, they're great in a pinch, you know, and obviously I use them quite a bit on the show. But in order to match what they did, it was very difficult. And then, yeah, like Nick said, they would then throw me a, a line of ADR or an extra line of production that they're like, oh, yeah, this is what he should say, not, not what we said on set. I'm like, well, but... It's like, oh my God, how am I going to make that work? Um, so, <laughs> so I came up with the idea of like, let's just do, let, like, let's just re-record it, you know, uh, as a phone call, uh, and it worked. Yeah, we don't, we don't usually have time to do that, you know, and and then when you do that though, you know, like there's certain compression that happens, like when you're making a phone call. So I'd have to do multiple takes because sometimes you'd they would garble like a word <laughs> here and there. So you'd want to like cut around that and you just paste together like a bunch of different like, you know, takes of uh, re-recording a, a phone call. So, yeah, it's a longer way to, you know, to try to pull something off. But, you know, the end result is obviously much more aesthetically pleasing than um, using a plug-in would. In the um, in our original spotting session with Jesse Armstrong, uh, that Angela and I were, were on, he initially said, you know, I'm fine with not being able to understand every single word that's coming over the phone. You know, this is something shocking. It's out of control for Ken and, and Roman. They're, they're not in control. They're trying to understand what's going on. It's okay if something is not totally clear. Uh, and he says, so feel free to garble it up more. So <laughs> Andy made it match. And then we threw in a little extra phone dropouts and stuff here and there to try and mm -hmm. play with that more. But I mean, they always say that, that, yeah, they always say they're fine with not understanding it, but they're not. <laughs> they want to, they do, they actually, they do, they do want to hear the words. So um, a lot of times what I do is I actually, you know, like I'll do that, I'll do the phone, I'll re-record it. And it actually plays with um, time too. It's like, it's slower or faster. So when I took like the original clean dialogue and just aligned it to the futched phone so that I could actually have a, a way of playing with like the process signal and the, and the dry signal. So you could dial in, you know, a certain amount of clarity, um, but retain, you know, that effect, you know, that it was like, Oh, this is a phone call. And, you know, so it's kind of the line that we're always treading is like, you want things to sound like they're in the real world, um, but you also want to understand them too. So how far do you push it? <laughs> Usually I'm told <laughs> you you went too far. <laughs> right. But you had to make it clear and then we had to make everybody think that it was garbled, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it works great in that scene because you're so in the head of whoever happens to be on the other end of the phone and like that sense of disorientation when you are struggling to understand what's going on. I, I just think that worked great. It was kind of a mind bender to figure out how they shot that kind of four way setup. Um, but you're so they're shooting the scene, and then whoever happens to be on the other end of the phone is on set doing their lines through a telephone. I think that's the case some of the time. Not not some every time, single yeah. time, but but some of the time, yeah. Right. So I'm I'm pretty sure for that for this scene, Tom was was there nearby making those phone calls deceptively complex scene. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like this, that, that's a good word to describe, you know, like how we approach the sound on this on this show because um, they, they do have some very complex stuff and it's kind of like a, a big 
you know, web that we have to untangle when we get the tracks. You know, Angela, that's the first thing she does is she, you know, sees, well, what do we have? What, what's here? What do they record? You know, who's on what mic? Are those mics good? Are, do we have issues to deal with in those? So, and then, you know, once we untangle the web, then we have to put it back together. <laughs> so it's a lot of like, you know, and, the, and then, you know, like when they're, when they're doing the offline, you know, like they, they get stuff the way they like it. Sometimes I can't put it back the way that they want it. You know, it's just whatever they did on set, whatever the mix was, you know, happened. Um, it's just better. I don't know what it was. So there's a couple scenes where I would like, I'd listen to it. And I'm like, I don't know, it's not working. And then I'd listen to their guide track, you know, like their, their mix track. And I'm like, that's it. That's better. Let's go with that. You know, mixer got it. Um, yeah, he did. You know, when you say mix track, you mean what was like the mix down that the yeah, location so they, right? So they'll do a live mix down on set. You know, so that the picture editor can work with you know just one track instead of an unwieldy amount of tracks that that we deal with. You know, with everybody on individual mics and booms and things that are open when you know somebody goes off camera and they're still having a conversation. You know, the mixer on set. You know, that's all faded out. Whereas for us, it's live. It's a mic that we could use. Obviously, we wouldn't want to. But um, so that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like this web that's like it's better. You know, we can do more things with it. But sometimes if we're not um, being true to like what they recorded on set, then we're you know, you, you always have to be respectful of like, you know, somebody did it. So people got used to hearing it in a certain way. And if we start messing with that vibe, um, you know, we're, we're going to throw off why a scene worked or didn't work. So, you know, it's very tricky on the show to tread those lines. And like, so anything we adjust, you know, like when Angela's saying, you know, like, you know, she finds alternate takes, it's like there's performances that even like syllables that get changed that we have to be very conscious of. And, um, and I think that's a lot how I approach ADR too. I'm like, all right, what are we trying to fix here? And can we get away with just using the bare minimum of like what they're trying to fix? So I'll try it a bunch of different ways where maybe we'll like start with some production, insert a little bit of the ADR and then go back into production to try to find a flow in order to fix the problem that they had and make everything still maintain that performance that they originally were hoping to, to get. We've mentioned that the show is complex. Uh, what's the schedule like on the show? Maybe, Angela, do you want to start with, like, well, how many days are you on each episode? And uh, maybe go through uh, into how many days you have on the mix stage. How many days are we scheduled? Nine? And then for me, I was just going to say, because they try to not bring in the actors so much, so that my schedule always kind of falls apart, and then it's based on when we're bringing the actors in, and we try to stack up a couple of episodes for them to come in, you know, do like three or four at a time. And so I don't really adhere to a, like a episode schedule in that, in that sense. Right. The, 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 the schedule for everyone else besides Angela is eight days of, of editorial for myself doing effects, or if I have an effects editor covering for me in the later episodes, because I'm more on the mix stage at that point, you know, fully same uh, eight days for the editor uh, dialogue, eight days. It's basically everyone keeps to that. Uh, our Foley uh, team, they usually walk the Foley in two days. Then, well, let's see, I think it's a total, it's, Andy, is it is it three days and then a review? Is that what it is? So That's, Andy will do his dialogue pre, depending on how the schedule works out. When it works out well, he'll throw it to me and then I'll do the effects and Foley pre against that. Then we'll show up on the stage for two days. We'll have the music on the first day and then our music editor joins us on the second day uh, and goes through some stuff and 
then at the end of our second day, we send versions of it out to people who aren't making it to the mix stage. And then we have a mix day review, taking notes from anybody who's watched it wherever, you know, London or, or uh, I guess some, I guess some people are in New York, but I get, or LA and then the people that, that show up on the day to, to review. So. Are people showing up uh, via like, uh, I don't know, source connect or whatever might be being used? No, no, it's, no. it's, it's you, you give your notes or you show up. So we, 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 the people that are there discuss the notes and decide if the note is valid or not. I mean, granted, if, if for some reason Jesse isn't able to be at the mix review, it, we, his notes it still carry the weight. But uh, you know, but uh, if there's other folks that couldn't make it, we'll, we'll we'll all discuss it and see if it if it makes sense to do or not. So that's that's a nice arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can just add that it's actually a pretty quick schedule. You know, we don't have a lot of time to do this show. And I think part of that helps with the show's aesthetic. You know, it is like a documentary and there's a lot of lumps in the show. You know, it's it's not perfect. Um, So because of that, you know, we don't sit there and like obsess over things. It's like, is it working? Great, move on. You know, it's not like, oh, but there's a little like thing. I try to get as much stuff as I can cleaned up and sounding great. But um, but a lot of it is just like it is the way it is. And, you know, the more you mess with it, the worse it's going to get. So, um, you know, part of that, like, you know, accelerated schedule is just like, you know, put the show back together and, you know, we do what we can do. It's like, no, it's like pencils down. You got to move on. So You're, you're your worst critic, Andy. Yeah, you know, you're your worst so. critic always. So. <laughs> do you mind, like, could we dig in a little bit on um, like noise reduction? There's so many noise reduction tools right now, and everybody's sort of playing around with different stuff. So I, you know, I think the thing that like I, you know, lean on first is um, how does it sound, you know, and how's it going to sound in the midst of like maybe there's going to be a little bit of background, maybe there's going to be a music cue. Is it noisy? I mean, or is it just sounding real? Um, the one thing that we do, like if we do get a boom and we get lobs, we align them to each other so they're in phase. And um, that, I find, kind of reduces the amount of noise reduction that that you would need to do. Sometimes I'll use somebody else's lav for a different person talking. I'll line those all up, and kind of like it's like the sum of all these parts minimizes a lot of the background noise. So, you know, you don't have to go in and do tons of crazy noise reduction, or maybe only one of the channels needs it. Maybe the boom needs a little bit of noise reduction. And my go-to is usually isotope. I mean, it's just, for me, there's, I found a setting that kind of works and I use it. And if it sounds better, great. If it doesn't, that means like nothing's going to help this track. So leave it alone. (laughs) It's it's just, it is what it is. Um, There is a less is more you know, approach that I think that I take, you know, and I, and I also find that like when we are aligning the tracks, like I I don't need as much EQ either. Um, You know, I tend not to like overprocess things. Um, I haven't found any like, you know, new plugins that are like, oh, this is, you know, this is the bee's knees and everyone should be using this on tracks. You know, it's like a lot of times, like I I used to fall into that trap where I would like try to attack noise. Um, 
And then you'd go back and you'd listen to their original tracks and you'd be like, oh, but this is like, there's something here that's now missing. You know, there's a, there's a voice quality to it that has been lost with a bunch of processing. So, um, so it's tricky. And a lot, and sometimes like I will do that, like I'll overprocess something and be like, oh no, what am I going to do? How am I going to unwind this? And I will just add in back the original stuff. Like I'm playing on different tracks so that. You know, I, I, I don't have to like hit undo 40 times, you know, like, and then I can kind of dial in the amount of noise reduction depending on some of the tracks that Nick brings or, you know, if there's music in it, in the, in it. So, yeah, I have this um, theory that I have no data to support um, that some <laughs> of the dialogue intelligibility issues that people are having might be related to like all the denoising tools that we now have that allow people to scrub dialogue and that we may be losing some kind of subconscious element of the human voice that allows us to key in to what people are saying. I don't know if that's crazy or what. It's not crazy. No, it's a good theory. It's a good theory. Um, you know, I, I, I have another theory, which is um, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, the, the dialogue in the show is – challenging the words the the how people talk to each other people don't talk to each other like the way they talk in this show so that flow of the conversation makes it very hard to track and the actors also aren't enunciating you know you have Brian Cox who's a classically trained theater stage actor never a problem understanding a single <laughs> word that he says even with his crazy accent whatever it is the others, not so much, you know? And I think it's like, it's a kind of a newish acting style. Um, you get a lot of people mumbling. You get a lot of like very low level, um, almost like they don't want you to hear what they're saying. Well, so there's that, a lot of, there's so many moments in the series where it's like, I, I don't want to, I want anybody else to hear what I'm saying. So they have this like almost whispered projection, <laughs> yes. which I was just like, that must get so hard for you guys. <laughs> All it of these is. confidential <laughs> conversations. <laughs> it is. It is. And so, <laughs> you know, I mean, part of that is like, well, that was a choice that these actors made, that the writers made, the directors made. Everybody made these choices. So at some point, it's it's kind of out of our hands. You know, we'll, we'll do the best we can. We'll try to present that track the best, you know, in the best way we can. And believe me, I've gotten plenty of notes from HBO after we sent the mixes in saying, like, don't understand this. And, you know, we'll go back. We'll listen to it and be like, is there anything I can do? Um, I, I don't want to go and put in another take there just to, like, you know, satisfy a a studio note for that kind of thing because that's kind of not that's not what we were <laughs> asked to do so a lot of it just it is what it is and you know it becomes the aesthetic if you if you grab it if you hear it great you got it that show asks a lot of the viewers in order to understand every every nuance and maybe you know you got to watch the show a couple times to get them i there's many times where i'll screen through a show you know the fourth fifth time and catch a line that i had never caught before and it's it's very satisfying when you hear that. You're like, oh my head. That's a great line. It's a great delivery. Some of those singers, I, yeah. Yeah, they're 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 wonderful. So Angela, do you have any thoughts on that about like when you're deciding what to flag for ADR or not based on the actor's uh whispering or intelligibility? Uh, 
Yeah, no. Because I, I just know that nobody wants to do it. You know, like I had a thing where I, I did cue something and then you take it into the studio and you show the actor and they look at me like I'm out of my mind. Like, why do you want me to do this? And then I'm like, oh, because I'm staring at waveforms on Pro Tools under headphones all day long, you know. And then explaining, you know, it's just a different approach and they're, and they're fine with it, you know. So I just try to be as judicious as possible. And if it's a performance thing, then... I kind of am hands off with them. It depends. It it really just depends on what it is, you know. But yeah, yeah it's, it's the it's type. Hard it's hard to get an type, actor to do a line they don't want to do to right. a line yeah. they don't want to loop. Yeah, yeah. You know, other shows are different, but on this show there is a little bit of a reluctance, which is fine, you know. I wanted to just ask a question that's maybe not necessarily about sound, but. We've all worked on a lot of series that, uh, you know, while we're working on it, we might think is really great, and then it goes out in the world and just kind of disappears in a whisper and is never heard from again. You're in a unique perspective. Like, shows don't capture the zeitgeist anymore the way they did when we were all kids. But this show did. Uh, maybe since Game of Thrones, I don't think there's been a show that's uh, grabbed everybody like this. Just kind of talk about, is there any extra pressure on you? Is there any extra... Um, boost of your own ego or anything like that from working on a show that uh, everybody's talking about? No, I, I mean, for me, I was always just like, oh, when's the new episode coming out? Oh, can I get two new episodes before I'm still working on, you know, still working on episode one? Can I have episode four to watch? You know, I, I'm sort of the fan. Uh, but now that you're saying that, maybe I should have done a better job is what I'm thinking. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I think I, 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 for myself, I feel like I just sort of enjoyed the ride and it was, you know, knowing that, as I said, it's a small sort of sandbox sonically in which we can play in. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have fun within that process of what I'm doing, that section of the what they're asking for. And I'm just, and I'm going to enjoy the, the show as, as I go along. And I think that's what most of the crew that, you know, other, that when I would talk to them, they were always excited about the episode. We talk about it. We, uh, I think we were fans before we were, you know, before we considered ourselves employees on it in some ways. So. At least that was my take on it. So Yeah. I just remember when we got this episode, I didn't have my own room up at Warner Brothers, so I couldn't really talk. Andy hadn't screened it yet, so I'd have to go out in the street and talk to Nick and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. That's true. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like getting spoilers. It, yeah, it felt a little top secret for a little bit. Yeah, yeah that, that is true. This season was a, an NDA for everybody who was on it. We all decided we couldn't talk about it to, to anybody until we were – you know, and then what we were always, I can't wait for this episode to air so we can talk about it sort of thing. And I think exactly the, the, like we had it on calendars. Yeah. yeah. For loop group purposes and everything. We just had yeah. it. I know the picture yeah. department felt the same way. They said the same thing on, on numerous occasions and they've been holding their tongue for far longer than we had. You know, you kind of heard reactions to the show. You know, I think I'd be listening to, you know, like a random golf podcast and they're talking about the show. You turn on the news and they, you know, reference a line in the show. A bus would go by as I'm like coming into the studio with a big succession thing. So it was kind of like hard to get away from the show. And I was like, really? All you people are like, is just crazy about this show? Like, um, I got to go in and like work the next 12 hours on this thing. So, so y'all can have your TV show. Like you're welcome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. This was a really fun talk. Congratulations on the success of the show and uh, all the positive reviews of your particular work on it. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on and it was great to uh, meet you, Andy and Angela and great to see you again, Nicholas. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you so much. A lot of fun. Thank, thank you, you both. Guys. 
Dumb Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 